Huckleberry Scones, a so powerful parable by Dana Buck. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 through 16. I've heard it said that accepting Christ as Savior, that's the easy part. Walking daily with Christ as Lord, now that's the challenge. Huckleberry Scones is a story we can all relate to. When the time comes, will we be able to give the reason for the hope that we have? The RCC players present Huckleberry Scones. There was an educated man who pursued enlightened truth. With stacks of books each day he'd sit in the local bistro booth. He'd read and sip a cup of tea as the pages turned and turned absorbing and reflecting on the knowledge he had learned. Till one day he closed the cover, slammed it shut with some resolve. He had tallied up the answers and felt his ignorance dissolve. To have the world and all its questions known once and for all, to stop the search and set aside the intellectual brawl. He really felt quite giddy as he raised his cup alone and decided he would celebrate with a huckleberry scone. He waved the server over, took five dollars from his clip. His mood was so triumphant, why, he might even leave a tip. <laughs> she came over to his table. She was young, still in her teens, and he noticed on her uniform her name tag said, Christine. Christine, this is a special day. I'll have another cup of tea. Please bring me a huckleberry scone. In fact, please bring me three. <laughs> wow. She said, and with her towel, wiped up a watery ring. Is it possibly your birthday? Or did you win that lottery thing? Better, came his quick reply, toned with great satisfaction. For I've uncovered life's great truth and all its interaction. I've put away the fables, all the stories and traditions that have undermined and thwarted intellectual ambition. Biology, geology, psychology, and physics, these are the cosmic architects religion merely mimics. The debate between God and science, I've now overcome that schism and rejected dim theology for enlightened atheism. Curtailing then his diatribe, he'd meant no disrespect, for he noticed now the silver chain and cross around her neck. I apologize if I've offended or caused you any grief in airing my opinion on my newfound firm belief. I've been immersed in gleaning what these volumes have provided, and when it all came clear to me, well, I got a bit excited. <laughs> no worries. Smiling, said Christine. My feelings are quite safe. For I'm impressed and must admire the deep convictions of your faith. Her smile never wavered, nor did her joyful tone. I'll be right back with tea, she said. And huckleberry scones. As she moved off, he found himself perplexed and quite disturbed, and these emotions soon transformed to angry and perturbed. Is she so dull in intellect that she can't even see? that faith is the thing that I've rejected totally. 
I marvel at the simpleness, the pablum so prodigious, residing in the minds of those who say they are religious. I cannot be misunderstood by a mind that's second-rate. As she returned, he steeled himself to speak up and set her straight. See here, Christine, as she approached, the observation that you made, and comment from your point of view, the one about my faith. I believe I had made it crystal clear through my intensive study that faith retards enlightened thought and makes it dull and muddy. I presume you didn't understand my pithy observations, and so I thought I'd rectify any lingering obfuscations. <laughs> Not at all, Christine replied as she set down the scones and tea. Why faith is just believing in the things that you can't see. When it comes to science, I don't count myself a scoffer. I just happen to believe that all those theories have an author. Knowledge is an orphan, and intelligence a waif. If we don't see, we all employ some measurement of faith. The depth of this girl's reasoning, it took him by surprise, and he saw a chance to influence and to evangelize. Your point on faith's well taken. He commenced his reasoned lecture. But knowledge supersedes our superstitions and conjecture. We've all five basic senses. We can hear, touch, taste, smell, see. Beyond this, there's no proof. And proof is where our faith should be. God? He's a creation meant to explain the unexplained. A concept that biology evolved within our brains. When science gives us answer, the foundation knowledge brings, we should embrace these higher truths and put away the childish things. He was satisfied he'd reached her, put her arguments to rest. So the reason depth of her response, he never could have guessed. It's interesting that you refer to leaving childish things. For the Apostle Paul, he wrote those words in 1 Corinthians. If all of life is just confined to biological senses, and to that dimension everything reduces and condenses, then nothing is eternal, nothing sacred, nothing blessed, just molecules and atoms randomly all coalesced. And concepts such as beauty, honor, love must be explained as random fiery neurons birthed and dying in our brains. If all we have is what we know, and nothing lasts beyond our death. Then all value starts when we're born and dies with our last breath. Compassion, pity, sacrifice become colossal wastes of time, as do duty, valor, courage, in pure Darwinian design. Instead, be self-indulgent, be self-centered, self-absorbed, for an only pleasing flesh is there a semblance of reward. There's another piece of scripture, something else the Bible said. You can eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow wake up dead. That's a very dismal outlook, he retorted, now disturbed. You've taken out of context my philosophy, my words. I believe nothing's eternal, and all that's sacred is a myth. The perpetuation of our species is why we all exist. The noble traits that you've listed, they developed over time as up evolution's ladder we ascended and we climbed. They create a strong community, 
bring Homo sapiens together as we bypass other creatures, those with fur or scale or feathers. Virtue isn't proof of a divine-inspired creator, but rather evidence that our genetic modeling is greater. He leaned back in his chair, convinced he'd set the proper tone. He took a sip then of his tea and also a bite out of his scone. Christine retained her smile with her serenity unbroken, impressed with the well-reasoned words her customer had spoken. As she fashioned her reply, the words she felt she should impart, she found them tucked within the deepest reaches of her heart. God can't merely be reduced to what our senses understand, what we smell or taste or see or just can carry in our hands. There's another piece to humans. You can't touch it. You can't hear it. Yet it's every bit as real. It's that piece we call the spirit. God speaks to us in ways beyond those limited by flesh. The spirit is the holy place where he and we can mesh. Those virtues that I spoke of, like honor, love, compassion, are what leads me to believe that we are in his image fashioned. I know that in myself, redeeming qualities are thin, yet I find them in abundance when I find myself in him. I may never have the power to persuade or change your mind. Only you can write your story, and I can only tell you mine. I'll leave you now with this. If it turns out that you're right, when my life is finally over, I'll just fade into the night. On the other hand, if I turn out to be the one correct. She just lifted up her eyebrows and on the table placed the check. For the first time in his life, he didn't have a thing to say. Christine smiled and said to him, You have a blessed day. His elbow on the table and his hand upon his head, he considered what he'd heard and all the teenage waitress said. He made a thoughtful face, one of those contemplative looks. Then he ordered up more tea and reopened all his books. The New Testament is full of admonitions to keep ourselves pure in action and thought and to equip ourselves to stand against temptation and opposition. But if we don't see the whole picture, we may assume that these instructions are simply for our own well-being. They are for our good, but they are also so much more than that. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says very clearly, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus has chosen us to be his voice and the living testimony of his redemption and grace. Faith is not a spectator sport. When our number is called, will we be ready? And what does it mean to be ready? It is simply this, to be in intimate relationship with him, to open ourselves up, allowing Him to fill us to overflowing with His presence. 
We get to know Him through His Word, through fellowship, and through prayer. When we know Him, that moment of confrontation does not have to terrify or disable us. In Matthew 10, verse 19 through 20, Jesus says, Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Make that promise yours, and you will be ready when the time comes. Just be sure and remember what Peter said. Do this with gentleness and respect. Amen.